It's April 10th, it's 2019. Our message this evening is called The Desert of Dependency. There's so many good things happening and uh, I would like to spend just a minute and tell you that Submission Ministries uh, is on fire. Those guys have such a sound team. Their uh, relationships with each other are pure. The gospel they're preaching is powerful. We're going to see them break ground in a building this year. But we're also just seeing them extend in ministry in ways that are seldom done. I want to encourage you all to keep praying for them. I've also just returned from King's Harvest Church. And uh, those guys have gone through a winnowing, a sifting time. And they have come out with absolute gold. I want to tell you, if you have not yet made plans to get your hotel room here at the One Association Conference in October, it's a mistake. You are not going to want to have to drive home. You're not going to want to have to get in the car and drive to the conference. You're going to want to stay drunk in the Holy Ghost and not need a designated driver to get you home. The kind of unity that we are beginning to see among the churches, I'll be in Denton this next week, is incredible. And you guys have been leading the way. And I just wanted to tell you that I'm proud of that. It's good to be back at home, even if it's for a week. You know, this ministry was birthed by a divine mandate. And we are seeing this church accomplish the Lord's directive for it. We're not done yet, but we're certainly well on our way. Man, that's got to make you happy. You know, most churches talk a very good game, but they never actually get anything done. They can leave a platitude on the wall for 30 years because it has never and will never be accomplished. Here, we're actually accomplishing vision. Pastors Matthew and Wade, their driving purpose is to see the kingdom of God advance on earth at all cost. Man, you have good pastors. As we join the churches of the One Association in this global effort, the emphasis is always going to be on the life-transforming power of the gospel, working one life at a time. That's got to be good news, because if you're having a tough day, tomorrow can be better. If your spouse is having a tough day, tomorrow is going to be better. The presence and power of the Lord transforms people. Amen? Amen. The idea is that these precious lives, that they are gathered together to be polished, like rare metals or valuable gems. The doctrine of the apostles and the spirit of the living God work in your life to perfect you. Do you want to be perfected? These pastors, their prayer when I'm with them is that you would be thoroughly equipped to accomplish the work that God specifically called you to perform. When we're praying for the Arias family, we are praying for them to complete the work God called them to do and they're well underway. When we're praying for the Clement family, we are praying that they complete the work of God. Most ministries are centered around you sitting on your salvation, throwing money in a plate so that someone else can accomplish the will of God. That is not the heart of LCM or the heart of these pastors. The pastors have agreed to settle for nothing less Then the comprehensive, somebody say comprehensive, Comprehensive. equipping and propelling of every believer in this room to accomplish your mezuzah statement. 
That's true whether you're birthing churches or serving God in a secular arena and becoming a pillar in this church. The sign that hangs up back there has been there since day one. Perform out there what you have practiced in here. Well, the reason that I just went through a little bit of our mission statement is the message that I want to talk to you about tonight is there is a process that has to be embraced for us to fulfill the divine call that each of us have. Now, I know you want to fulfill the divine call, don't you, Caleb? Yeah, I want to fulfill that call. That was not very enthusiastic. I caught you while you were drinking coffee. How about you, Spence? Spencer Absalom? You want to fulfill the divine... Look, that's a handsome man. The rule here is you only point out people from the pulpit that you really like. So I'm going to work my way around the room and get to all of you. Except maybe you. Do you want to fulfill the divine call on your life? I have to assume you would only be in a radical church like this. One where your toes are stepped on. Where you're encouraged, you're rebuked, you're corrected. You're nourished, you're well fed. I can only imagine you would be here because you're serious about that. LCM is comprised of those that are called, chosen, and obedient. That really is why I feel compelled to explain what is happening to the church over the last 18 or or 20 months or so. Every great call of God, it starts somewhere. It's developed somewhere. It's benefited by a very specific place on earth. Very few people know about it because very few are willing to endure long enough to become well acquainted with this place. They opt out for an easier path, a more popular path. Are you looking for an easy way or the narrow way? Amen. We're going to start in Genesis 37. And as we start in Genesis 37, I'm asking you to do your very best to tune in to what's happening here. I've only got one message to share with you. And this is the one that I believe that the Lord has given me for this body. He's been dealing with me differently about submission ministries, differently about King's Harvest than this church. All of them are in beautiful places because they're the churches that the Lord Himself founded. But you, you're special in a different way to me. You can understand that, can't you? Genesis 37, verse 19. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now. Let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we will see what comes of his dreams. Man, can you hear the animosity in that? The enemy hates godly vision. Even carnal brothers hate godly vision. Though they gladly acclimate to one centered on acceptance, athletics, or worldly wisdom. They have no problem with that. If you fail... The same brothers are relieved because they feel absolved from their need to rise to a higher plane. If you succeed, they impugn your motives and your methods. It's an incredible double standard. Joseph's dream and the vision of LCM, they did not originate with an enemy or with false brothers. It was conceived in the very mind of God. It transcends ego. It transcends competition And it certainly transcends erroneous accusation. Can somebody say amen to that? The Lord is the Lord of our dream. The Lord of the calling. He's the Lord of the task that He wants performed by the church and in each life in the church. He wants to perform something in you, for you, and by you. 
He wants all of those things. Do you want the Lord to work in your life? In verse 21, we get to an interesting place. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the desert. Where was the cistern? Where was it? But don't lay a hand on him, Reuben said. He said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Does anybody know why? It was in the desert. Our whole message is going to be about things that happen in the desert today. Joseph was stripped of his robe in the desert. Joseph was lied about in the desert. Joseph was treated terribly by those who should have joyfully supported him in the desert. Joseph was thrown into a waterless cistern in the desert. All this happens in one place. Now, if you heard about a place like that, you would avoid it at all costs, wouldn't you? The problem is, when we avoid it, then the purpose of God is never completed because the process of God has not been adhered to. This had to happen to Joseph for him to become the thing that God called him to be. Callings and dreams, they can be given anywhere. But the preparation for presentation and performance of the call, it only takes place in the desert. Let's say that again. We have it on a screen for you. Callings and dreams can be given anywhere. He got them in wheat fields. He got them at night through dreams. He got them in pleasant places. But the preparation for his presentation and the performance of that calling, it only occurs in the desert. I'm going to show you that in every area of the Bible today in a way that is undeniable. And the good news is, if you're in a place of struggle, then you are in a a place of preparation. It has always been this way. It always will be this way. You know the story of Joseph. You know how the desert years ultimately honed and refined and formed his character. You do know the story, don't you? On the day that Joseph was presented in the palace, he was not a different man than he was while he was in the desert. He was the same man. In fact, when his circumstances changed, his character did not. Can I tell you how important that is? How many churches do you know that started well and when affluence happened, their character was poor? How many people do you know that were married well, but as they accumulated enough to become comfortable, things went badly? See, God prepares us in a place so that our character doesn't change when our circumstances do. Joseph was full of integrity that was proven out in Potiphar's house. The same guy that was in the desert was full of perseverance that was put to test in a prison. These things remain true whether he was in the prison or in the palace. The man prepared in the desert was presented by God in the palace because his dependence on the Lord was no longer in doubt. Oh my goodness. He had been dedicated to discipleship in the desert process. I got to imagine he didn't like every bit of it, but every bit of it was something that God was working into him, something that was pleasing. Do you want the Lord to work in you something pleasing? 
We're going to work from left to right through the Tanakh. Go to Exodus 3 as fast as you can get there. When you get there, we'll be in the first verse. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert. This is not just the desert. It's the far side. In Hebrew, it's a har. You have to cross something to get to it. And he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within the bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. Look, Moses had a calling. His calling came when he was in Egypt, but he had not been prepared by God. You recognize that? In fact, he had been educated in all the wisdom of this world in, in, uh, written in Hebrews. It says this. Yet he had not been taught total dependence on the divine yet. His preparation for his presentation to the community of Israel, it took 40 years in the obscurity of the desert. 40 years just so that he would be in a place that God could use him. And what was he drawn to? A strange sight. The bush that did not burn up. Strangely, supernaturally, Moses and every other man of God that is called learned something. God needs nothing to exist. You knew that. But the man that is called by him has to learn that that man needs nothing to exist except God. See, that's an incredible thing. You walked into this room, many of you were burdened. I could feel that. Some of you, our marriage teachings have stirred up enough dust cleaning your house that it's giving you a cold. I get it. You're going to clean that house though. It's going to be okay. Tonight, you have a one-time only sale of a lifetime, 100% off repentance at this altar. You'll get it straight right away. It'll be so easy. You can only exist by Him and for Him. Your circumstances can set you ablaze, but you'll never be consumed if what you're existing on is Him. See, you learn that when you're in a place where you are deprived of anything but Him. We become the strange sight for the world and the worldly to behold. In other words, what Moses saw on the mountain, the bush that was on fire and was never consumed, is exactly what Moses became. He became a man that existed on nothing but the next word of God. And since others couldn't see that, he seemed to exist all by himself. And you could put him in a desert with no food, no water, nothing, no army. And he existed anyway. This is the place of preparation in the desert of dependency. In fact, the desert of dependence is where we learn the art of the supernatural. Now, you can go to a dojo and learn a martial art, but I'm going to take the supernatural art any day. There are a few of you that I would just turn and run from if we were in a dojo, but we're not. We're in a church, and I've got the very same spirit of Elijah on me. The holiness of God burns with fire in those that are dependent upon Him. You learn that dependency in one place. Our God doesn't just use this method for patriarchs like Joseph and prophets like Moses. It's how He formed His entire community of people. Whether a prophet or a patriarch or an ordinary person, He formed everyone in one specific place. Where was that? Let's go to Exodus 13 
in verse 18. So God led the people around by the desert road. Out of all of the roads, man, the desert road towards the sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt armed for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid. And then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. Come on now, Joseph was right. God will surely come to your aid. You know, while being prepared in the desert, you learn to cling to a promise. Joseph learned how to cling to a promise when his circumstances all around him were wrong, so much so that he asked that they carry his bones out of Egypt. See, when you have nothing in your life to depend on, Accept a promise when there is no competing interest with God in your life and all you have is His purpose. You learn to cling to Him in a new way. Look, you have to imagine whether it is uh, Cody with Moshe or Gabriel with Tobias or Brandon with Elijah, a father that is trying to train his son about something that's important. You wouldn't put him in the middle of a circus. See, if you put him in the middle of a circus, there's distractions everywhere. It's hard to hold their attention. I see Rick nodding for Levi. It's hard to hold the child's attention with flashing lights and stuff all around. But if you put them in solitude, if you put them somewhere where it's just you and them, then they get trained to hear your voice so that their character can handle it. Even if they're in the middle of a circus, they know what to listen to. They know who to follow. Very often we want to be presented in the palace before we've been prepared in the desert. And the problem is, is you get fascinated with all of the beautiful things. You get fascinated with all of the world around you. And you forget the very thing that brought you to the palace. God will come to your aid. If there's any message for this church. Some of you had tears during worship. Few wives I saw crying at the altar. Sometimes those tears are healing. Sometimes that's good. But I want to tell you the Lord will come to your aid. Sometimes Him coming to your aid looks like He whispers in your husband's ear a gentle and encouraging word. Sometimes what coming to your aid looks like is the wisdom and the revelation that says, I need to repent this very second. And it's amazing how fast when you turn the car around and head the right direction, it just feels good. Anybody ever experienced that? Like full tilt, total repentance? Oh man, that's good feeling. Look, you can be staring at a bag of bones and say, well, this guy died in the desert that he was uh, being prepared in. This is that favorite scripture. Maybe the promise you're clinging to feels dead. Micah 7, and I'm just quoting it for you. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Do you believe that, saints? Are you carrying around a bag of bones? Are you carrying around a token that is your promise? Are you standing in a place where you have to depend on Him so much that if He doesn't come through, you perish? Or have you insulated yourself with other things? The desert of dependency teaches you the hope of the resurrection in this life and the next. Say something with me, church. Say, God will surely surely come to my aid. aid. 
You know why you can say that in the desert? There's nobody else who's going to come to your aid. Why do all of the miracles happen somewhere else? Because you're not in the desert. They happen in the desert. When you're in the desert, you get miracles. Do you know why you get miracles? Because if you don't, you die and he doesn't want you to die. But when you can run to an ER, when you can run to a computer, when you can run to a buffet, when you can run to whatever it is you're running to, then it's hard to have total dependency on him. He's competing with everything else. So praise God for desert times. In fact, verse 20 is instructive. After leaving Succoth, and you can only imagine why they left that place, they camped at Ethiam on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And by night, a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. An entire nation is in the desert of dependency. But the supernatural light of God was causing them to rise, even while they sat in darkness. You have to consider over these next few chapters the kind of things that are happening. In Exodus 15, they're in a desert and they have only bitter water to drink. But the Lord makes it sweet. You know why? Because if He didn't, they would die. They were in a position that was so vulnerable that they got to learn to depend upon the Lord. Man, I think most of us spend most of our lives trying to avoid that. This is how he formed his people. They were in a desert in the same chapter and came to 12 springs of Elim. And at those 12 springs, they begin to be transformed into 12 life-giving springs themselves. See, in the desert, when they found out the Lord was the only source, they found out the Lord inside of them was the only source for others as well. Man, that's important. Are you drinking from the waters of life? Have you become a source of water for other people that is life-giving? See, these are stages of your development in the desert. They first need water made sweet for them, and then after drinking of that, they become sweet waters for everyone else. By the time you get to Exodus 16, verse 32 says this. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for generations to come so they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the desert. God was concerned that the future generations would see a testimony. They would see that when his people were in the desert, they received both water and bread from him. He is what they are existing on. The testimony they're building in the desert of dependency was that whether water or bread, their God provided for them. Has your God provided for you? Man, that's kind of a half-hearted, I provide mostly for myself and God provides when I don't have enough for myself kind of answer. I'm just being honest. The, the, The truth is, is, Maybe you've had a long work day providing for yourself. And tonight, the Lord wants to provide something for you. Are you in a desert or are you doing all right all by yourself? He wants to form you in a desert. They were ablaze with adversity. Not enough water to drink. Not enough food to eat. But they were never consumed by it. 
God was providing for them. And so the nation itself becomes a supernatural and strange sight. And the other nations were watching. That's why Rahab gets saved without the gospel being preached to her. That's why Rahab gets saved without one track dropping from a plane in her backyard. They were watching a supernatural sight marching around a desert. See, saints, the desert is where God forms his patriarchs, his prophets, and his people. This brings us all the way to a place where we can say, Pastor Wade and Pastor Matthew have been leading you. You are learning in a desert of dependency. How many of you have had moments in the marriage teachings where you just uh, weren't sure you were going to be able to immediately apply what you were being told? This is where you learn that the supernatural becomes common. The basis for our ministry is life-changing power. And the first place you will ever see life-changing power is in yourself and in your spouse and in your children. And that is what you export to the rest of the world. The first thing the devil tries to kill in you is hope that your spouse and your children can change or hope that you can change. And I'm here to tell you all of the above are possible. You are becoming the strange sight for the world all around you. They ought to be able to look and go, my God, I don't recognize that guy. And it's only been six months, two years, five years. God will draw the next generations of patriarchs, prophets, and pillars into this community because of what God is doing in the desert for this right now. There needs to be the testimony. This is the word he gave me while I was in the desert. In fact... That's what Numbers and Deuteronomy actually mean in Hebrew. Is Bemidbar and Devarim, the, the, the desert words that God gave. See, it's in the desert that you are formed into something. Let's look at Exodus 19. Say there when you were there. In the third month, this is Exodus 19 verse 1. After the Israelites left Egypt on the very day, they came to the... Desert of Sinai. You could get the impression that all they do is walk in the desert, and that's pretty much true. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Man, am I the only one that finds that beautiful? Some people read Exodus and they hear a funeral story. They hear that you've received the law and you can't keep it and you're going to die. When I read Exodus, I hear a wedding story. I hear a a loving husband talking to his bride. I carried you on eagles' wings. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all of the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Check this out. The desert of dependency and the eagle in that verse, they have a relationship. Is that something you're already aware of? Would you like to hear more about it? The desert is a place of death for the natural man. It's hostile to the flesh. If you don't believe that, then think on what happened to the Egyptians that pursued the Israelites into the desert. Likewise, the eagle 
in the Tanakh is predominantly a sign of sudden and overwhelming judgment for the sinful. It is usually a bird that is suddenly descending upon a nation and the nation is being destroyed. So both the desert and the eagle are usually a sign of destruction. But the eagle that is normally a threat to natural sinful or hostile man is here seen as a supernatural provision for the sons of God that are being transformed in the desert. In other words, what would otherwise be hostile to you is turned into something that is actually your protection. See, a lost man, he would look up at the eagle as an impending sign of judgment from above. You have to think of days before F-16s and Apache helicopters. You're out there watching your rabbit, and out of nowhere, 100 mile an hour, a bird flies out of the sky and snatches your pet away. It seemed like, well, like it must seem for somebody in ISIS watching a jet roll in. Okay? An overwhelming, awesome aerial attack. But in these passages, we're seeing something else. In the desert, the people were placed like priests on top of the eagle's wings. They are above the threat and yet in total dependency. You know, this reminded me of Ephesians 2. And you can just write it. I want to quote it for you. Ephesians 2, 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. See, This idea of the eagle and the eagle's wings. The eagle flies higher than every other bird. He doesn't have to worry about something attacking him from above. He is the top of the aerial food chain. So when he puts you on top of his wings, nothing gets to you except to go through the eagle. God said, I carried you on eagle's wings through a desert. When you're in a place of dependency... The Lord really comes through by providing protection for you. When you're not in a place of dependency, you don't know you need that protection and you end up devoured. In fact, I would imagine that most birds would carry their young in their feet. But an eagle puts you where only one direction could get to you. Something earthly, something base. But it would have to go through the revelation. It would have to go through the Spirit of God. Look, your pastors are teaching you to move in the desert. That's what's happening. If you've received an incorrection, a correction or an encouragement, a rebuke or training of some kind, they are teaching you how to navigate in the desert. Matthew and Wade are accustomed to desert living. This is not new to them. They know the value of what is being formed in you and for you because the same thing has been formed in them and it's genuine. They have a character that doesn't change when their circumstances do. Both Wade and Matthew know that men of God move in a particular pathway. From desert to desert, they learn to persist in praise. I want to show you that in Numbers 10. This is about learning to move in the desert. It's a particular pathway of persistent praise. Numbers 10, verse 11. On the 20th day of the second month of the second year, the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle of the testimony. Then the Israelites set out from the desert of Sinai and traveled from place to place until the cloud came to rest in the desert of Paran. 
Are you kidding me? They leave one desert and where do they go? To another. Have you ever heard the expression, out of the frying pan and into the fire? When you're in the desert, often all you can think about is getting out of the desert. A premature leaving of the desert will only put you in another desert. It takes different forms. The desert might have a different name. One guy wrote a song about riding through a desert on a horse with no name. The whole point, though, is if you get out of the desert by some means other than God transforming your character, you will find yourself in another desert because He loves you and it's where He prepares you. They set out for the first time at the Lord's command through Moses. The divisions of the camp of Judah went first. Under their standard, Nashon, son of Amminadab, was in command. Now you know that Judah means praise. In the desert of dependency, the priests learn to send praise headlong into adversity. They leave the desert of Sinai, they go to the desert of Paran, but who leads the way? The tribe that means praise. They move from desert to desert, always sending praise into their persecution. Come on now, saints. Praise into their persecution. They had no fear of carnal circumstance because they were on fire, but they couldn't be burned up. They were being sustained. And let's be honest, how many days can you make it without water in the desert? Maximum three. And you have to figure there's people of every age there. So if they've already made it three days, they've already been delivered from death to life, haven't they? The problem is, having been delivered from death to life, we often want to rest right there and say we found life. But the days are still ticking by in the desert. See, it's a relationship of dependency that forms you. It is not a one-time dependency followed by it being solved. It's a lifetime of dependency. That's why they move from desert to desert. They were supernaturally a strange sight. To the world around them. They were on eagle's wings. And had no threat from above. Can you imagine saints. What it would be like. If you looked at the law. And you saw it as a threat from above. But you found out. That your father loved you. And was actually showing you how to ride on his shoulders. How that would change your perspective. If you looked at an eagle. As an aerial bombardment attack. Like God was angry. And then you realized that you were on the other side of his wings. If your relationship had risen above punishment. If it had risen above fear of punishment. If perfect love had driven out fear because fear has to do with punishment. If that's what you felt like, you would be on the eagle's wings floating through the desert. Come on, saints. When we're considering our position, you have to understand that it is precious. It's precious to be in the desert. Because God's people in the desert have only ever been vulnerable to attacks from one direction. See, God is not angry trying to crush you in the desert. He's there to prepare you. The only thing that is trying to crush you while you're in the desert comes from a different direction. There have always been those who promise well and perform poorly. There have always been those who speak the language but fail in the lifestyle. There have always been those who stand in the same crowd but who have never given up their own crown. The desert of dependency delivers those who want an easy path into their preferred preference. 
When you're looking for a chance to escape dependency on the Lord, He will give it to you. The most dangerous thing in the world is if He does give it to you. You might end up in some alternative calling that God never gave you and requires nothing of you but makes you feel like you're doing something good. Even Moses had to be prepared by the desert of dependency until the superfluous was eliminated from his life. Have you ever had to take a severe pay cut? Ever had your house size drop tremendously? You ever have somebody else do spring cleaning for you and you ended up with far less clothes than you thought? You find out how much you don't need. And it's a blessing. It's liberating. So the whole nation goes through a supernatural sifting in the desert. The beautiful church that I love and these men are pastoring, it's going through a supernatural sifting and it has been for at least two years. It was prophesied about as a fruit tree that you had to dig around the roots. It, it was it was prophesied about branches that would be pruned away. It was prophesied many times and in various ways. And some of the empty seats that are here are not because the people weren't being pastored. It's because they were. And they didn't want it. And so they were sifted right out. That happens in the desert. In fact, in Numbers 14, we get to such a painful topic that we're going to cover it and then move on from it. Numbers 14 and verse 29. In this desert, your bodies will fall. Every one of you 20 years old or more who was counted in the census and who grumbled against me. Not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them into, I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected. The people left Egypt for a promised land, but their time in the desert didn't cause an increased dependency it caused them to want independence from the leading of the Lord. They thought it cost too much. Look, thinking of millions falling in the desert, it diffuses responsibility. A famous Russian leader said, a person dies, it's a tragedy. A million people die, and it's a statistic. When you think of a whole generation dying, that might not move your heart a great deal. We're going to take it a different route. We're going to consider only one person. And we're going to use her as a kind of representative of the whole so that you can personalize the lesson. I mean, I could illustrate the lesson through countless lives that I've seen sifted out of this community. But for congeniality's sake, I think I only want to use the ones named in the word. Look, the desert reveals rebels that are rejected as well as supernatural sons that Satan will never be able to stop. The desert reveals that. The dependency in the desert, it, it has a supernatural sifting effect. In Numbers 20 and verse 1, we'll find our subject matter. In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zen. There seemed to be more deserts in the Bible than you could have imagined. And they stayed at Kadesh. There Miriam died and was buried. Think about Miriam for a minute as representative of the entire generation that died. Miriam, she started so well. 
She followed the ark that Moses was placed in. She led the women in praise at the victory in the Red Sea. Miriam drank the supernatural waters at Meribah. She ate the manna that fell from heaven. How good did Miriam did Miriam do? However, she grew tired of life in the desert. It showed up by her grumbling against her leader, grumbling against his wife, and even grumbling against his very calling. She forsook God's way. She tried it her own way. Her body fell in the desert without fanfare, memorial, or tribute because she did not finish with the zeal of her beginnings. With a satanic self-importance, she became a warning and an omen to the sons of God with only one line about her death. Man, do we need to take that to heart? Here's a good litmus test for you. We should grow in dependency. That's the lesson of the desert. We have to make up our mind now not to seek an easy way. Only those who finish their preparation in the desert are worthy of presentation in the king's palace. Saints, you've come so far. You've endured so much. Let Christ work into you what is pleasing to him. Let let him make your life such a blessing to the people around you that your exceptional pastors are blessed to be able to pastor you. See, desert should increase dependency. So if there was a point in your life where you were more dependent on the Lord than you are now, you need to repent. There is no age in life where it is okay to be less dependent on the Lord. You could be on Miriam's path like that. After having achieved so much, after having seen so much, covered under the blood of the Lamb, baptized in the Red Sea, following the very visible presence of the Lord's Spirit, eating bread from heaven, drinking supernatural water. But not only does she not arrive where she should go, her character was never transformed in the right direction. We don't want that, do we? Take encouragement. I'm going to rattle off a couple scriptures for you that you know. This is Isaiah 40, 31. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. You may need your strength renewed tonight. It's good to recognize that when you're in the desert, you're dependent on the Lord to give you more strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and will not faint. He will not let you die in the desert if you're depending on Him. So you learn that you only exist by Him and for Him. Hebrews 12.3 says, Consider Him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you do not grow weary and lose heart. I'm going to show you in just a minute that Jesus Christ came right out of the desert in the same way that Israel did. Galatians 6 verse 9 says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if... We do not give up. Saints, you're not in danger of giving up, are you? You've come so far, you might be closer to the other side than where you began. Of course, you'll never find out if you stop. I want to remind you that it was in a desert of dependency that quite a few things happened. In Numbers 24, Balaam cursed Israel, or he tried to, but it was turned into a blessing In the desert, the desert will take things meant to kill you and bless you with them. In Deuteronomy 1, God fought in the desert 
for Israel as a father fights for a son. He said that exact word. Wouldn't you love to be in a place where you felt like God's son and he felt like your father? According to Deuteronomy, that was in the desert. In Deuteronomy 8, Israel, God's son, learns in the desert that dependency on the word of God's mouth is more important than the food you put in your mouth. You've heard that all of your life, but they actually got to experience it. Are you thinking about dinner right now? Are you wondering where the word goes and what you can glean from it and what God might be trying to feed you? See, because in the desert, you wouldn't be wondering about dinner tonight because it would only come if God gave it to you. See, everywhere you go where dependency is increased, miracles abound. Faith grows. The poor are rich in faith. Why? Because they're dependent on him. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? Theirs is the kingdom of God. Are you getting it? If you're in a desert, you're in a good place. By the time you get to Joshua 5, I'm just going to summarize it because there are other things I want to get to for you. Those who endured the desert process had the reproach of Egypt rolled away. They experienced Passover inside of the promised land. This is the very blessing that the rabble rejected in their rebellion. But their sons, they went in and took it. Hey, do you want your son to go further than you? But not because you stopped. You just want him to be able to run faster, go further, be more dependent, more empowered by the Lord. You don't want your son to outpace you because you sucked. You want your son to outpace you because you did a stellar job and he was empowered by a spirit from a younger and more serious age than you. Because they left sucketh and went out in the desert. Now, what you may not have realized is whether we were talking about patriarchs or prophets or the people in general. What we're actually getting to is that the desert of dependency is the great kingmaker in the Bible. Kings are made in the desert and they cannot be made anywhere else. In 1 Samuel 23, in verse 14, David stayed in the desert strongholds. What kind of strongholds? And in the hills of the desert of Ziph, I was talking with Brother Ohad and he reminded me. Ziph means a refining place. A melting place. He's not just in a desert. He's in a desert of refinement. Of melting. Man, that's, that's an apt word. Day after day Saul searched for him, but God did not give David into his hands. He's in a desert in more than one way. He's in a desert because there's a lack of water. There's a lack of bread. He's in the desert because this particular place is a place of refinement. But then he also has a a different kind of demonic desert dweller that is trying to kill him every day. Can I tell you, you can have a desert on many fronts. Sometimes provision is your desert. Sometimes the need for affirmation is your desert. Sometimes, well, you know what your desert is. David has already been anointed by Samuel. See, you can get your vision and your calling anywhere. But you have to be prepared in the desert for kingship. He's anointed as king, but he's not king. Do you know why? He has to go through the desert of dependency. 
He has to learn something that simply being anointed and called does not do for you. Charlie, how many anointed and called people have you known that did not follow through in a way that was admirable? Yeah, hundreds and thousands. Not hundreds of thousands, but hundreds and thousands. Part of the preparation is that a father is trying to kill him while frequently calling him a son. Man, doesn't it hurt when people who should support you actually turn on you and try to pray on you? Not pray for you, pray on you. Of course it does. But that's a part of the desert life. Jesus told us it would happen. He said that the members of our own households would be like enemies. Yeah? The satanic spirit of Saul is still alive, still well, still breathing out murderous slander against the sons that are called the kingship. And enduring that is a part of the path to kingship. It's always been this way. It probably always will be this way. It's the price of preparation for a presentation in the king's palace. Do you want to appear in the king's palace? Well, you're learning the price. While David was at Horesh in the desert of Ziph, refinement, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. Isn't that a beautiful sign? Helped him. Assad, what's it like when somebody helps you find strength in God? You've probably found that at Ashford Memorial Auto Clinic more than once, huh? And I hear others are coming to you and they're being strengthened in God. See, in the desert, this is a place where covenants, the desert of dependency is a place where covenants are formed and strengthened between those who are called to be kings. Both David and Jonathan are called to be kings, but it was a meeting in the desert that caused them to strengthen each other. In fact, in verse 17... Says, don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord. Then Jonathan went home, but David remained at Horesh in the desert. See, Jonathan had left the surety of his own kingdom to strengthen and support the kingdom that God was establishing, that God was forging, that God was refining in the desert places. That desert of dependency is a place where you develop David and Jonathan-like relationships with each other. Have you ever been desperate and a brother showed up? I don't know, remodeling a bathroom or something? Have you ever been on a move and have a brother show up? See, it is in places of total desert dependency that the mere appearance of a brother is so strengthening and you bond with each other. See, covenant bonds are born in the desert of dependency. As we move into the Newer Testament and towards a place where we can approach a closing, you'll see this pattern come to life in even more undeniable ways. But before we go there, If you've been resisting preparation in the desert, if you've been unfaithful to the process, if fear has caused you to abort what God wants to birth in you, Hosea has loving words for you. Now, that might not be what you were expecting from me. If you're doing it wrong, doing it wrong, doing it wrong, then Hosea has loving words for you. But you need to pay careful attention to the loving words. 
This is Hosea 2.14. Therefore I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There she will sing as in the days of her youth, as in the days she came out of Egypt. See, friends, the desert isn't punishment, it's preparation. If you haven't been doing it well, then he will allure you further into the desert. You have to hear his voice. And there in the desert where there are no other circumstances that can bless you, He will begin to change things inside of you. Do you want personal transformation or would you rather just sit for, I don't know, a padded seat? This preparation I've been speaking out of, it is the required price to participate in the priceless reign of Christ. Not just in the age to come, but right now. See, the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be reigning with him now. It may look like there's another way. It may look like there's an easier path. There's not. The other more pleasant paths don't lead to the sovereignty of God. They lead to the slavery of the saints. McDonald's playlands, cute coffee shops, plentiful programs. Those are not the birthplace of those who would become kings. They're the graveyards of the grievously compromised Christian. You need to take note and ask yourself in this moment, do I want to reign with Christ? What did his path look like? How did Joseph get the iron in his soul that Psalm 105 said he had? Where did Moses get the courage to lead? How did David develop such an unbreakable perseverance and integrity? Well, I can tell you they didn't get it at the popular Christian playground. They were learned in the desert of dependency. Each one of those men. I want to encourage you to say no to the popular pleasures and playlands that masquerade as churches in our time. We need to commit ourselves to a higher path. The eagle's wings that carry us through the desert so that we might become kings as we were intended to be. See, that's what we're ultimately called to. The desert is the great kingmaker. Are you ready for your first Newer Testament quote? You might want to go to Luke 1 and verse 80. Are you all bored? Luke 1 and verse 80. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. Come on, man. Strong in spirit. What a compliment. And he lived in the... He lived in the... See, the desert is a place that you become strong in spirit. It's your flesh that decreases, but your spirit should be becoming strong in these places of dependency. Now, what else does it say? Until he appeared publicly to Israel. Where did God prepare John the Immerser? In the desert. On the day that John appeared, he didn't become a different man. He didn't transform as he entered public ministry. Some of you are waiting for this miraculous day when all of your circumstances change and so it allows you to change. That's not how it works. He changes you 
and makes you into something that doesn't change regardless of the circumstance. So that a man like Paul can say, I've learned the secret of being content in every situation. He had a character that didn't change when circumstances did. John had been prepared for presentation. What God had formed in the desert had now installed the character that could be revealed to the whole world. I want you to consider for a second. John was born six months before Jesus. That means that John spent roughly 30 years preparing in the desert for six months of presentation in the palace. The desert of dependency taught John to be strong in spirit. So much so that Matthew 11 says he forcefully advanced the kingdom. What do you want said about your life when you're gone? See, this is what the gospel of Matthew records about him. Matthew goes out of his way to point out that Jesus said, John did not come from a palace of pleasures. He came from a desert of dependency. He actually said, what did you go out in the desert to see? Turns out that the desert of dependency is the perfect place to grow an oak of righteousness. The palace grows weeds and reeds that sway in the wind. But the desert, the desert grows spiritual oaks of righteousness. The desert of dependency is so important that even Jesus was prepared in it before his public presentation. The Son of God, perfect in all of his ways, was perfected in the desert. Luke 4.1 Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the It was in the desert that He demonstrated that He had been prepared to reign as King. See, it was in a desert when He depended on God's Word and will for food. In fact, it led to an entire life of dependency. He would not test the Lord by choosing His own glory or preference, but depended on the Lord without forcing His hand or putting Him to the test. He demonstrated dependency on the Lord rather than self-assertion and promotion, which is what He was being tempted to do. In fact, He even denied the quick and easy route to the kingdoms of the world. He did all of those things in the desert. The desert was the great kingmaker in Jesus' life. He walked into the desert a carpenter's son. He walked out of the desert, revealing himself as God's son to the whole world. Do I have to tell you that his character never changed? Even when his circumstances did? It showed that he was and is and always will be the rightful king of Israel and indeed the whole world. This process continues in some form or fashion in every called, every chosen, and every faithful follower. We obviously can't go through them all, so I'm going to pick a few that I think will be your favorites. When I say a popular Christian, like when I ask you, who is your favorite person in the Bible, Newer Testament other than Jesus, who do you say? Oh, I'm proud. Somebody said Peter. Most of you said Paul. Listen to this. Just listen to me, okay? I, I won't lie to you. It's Galatians 1, and I want you to hear it. 15. When God... Who set me apart from birth. Remember, you can be called anywhere, but you can only be prepared one place. When God, who set me apart from birth, called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man, 
Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Has anybody ever seen Arabia? Because I have. It's a desert. The first place that Paul went was a desert. And he makes it a point for you to know he was in a desert of dependency before anything else happened. In Paul's desert time, the validity of his revelation was verified. And it virtually eliminated all insecurity. Can I tell you how many called men need this? How many called men have to be in a place where there is no affirmation, there is nothing but the Lord to sustain them, to know that what is in them is real. They need it, you need it, we need it, they all need it. He passed the test before God, so he would pass the test before both men and their kings. Paul was prepared in the desert where all men of God are prepared for presentation. The next one that came to mind, because I'm a preacher and I like alliteration, is Philip. You may say Philip was an evangelist. He wasn't in the desert. You're wrong. In Acts 8, verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. You know, I have a feeling that Philip learned the value of instant obedience in the desert. If you didn't go out and pick up manna when you were supposed to pick up manna, it turned to worms. If you picked up too much manna and you tried to keep it overnight, it turned to worms. The sun would even melt it away between days. You know, in the desert, you learn that when the Lord speaks, that might be the only time He speaks to you about that subject. Do it now. You have to be an incredibly affluent in every way, spiritually in every other way person, to hear the Lord speak and think, well, I'll get to it. That's somebody who is so saturated with good things that you've lost the sensitivity to their precious nature. But when you're in a desert, man, a cracker starts to look a lot like a steak. Verse 27. So he started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all of treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Now forgive me, but if Philip was in the desert and this man was with him, then they were both in the... He was an important man. He was a rich man. He was a well-connected man. And yet when God wanted to arrange a meeting, the royal official was brought to the desert because it's the only place you can make a king. Verse 28, and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, both Philip and the Ethiopian were in the desert. What a precious moment. How beautiful that the Ethiopian would ask for an explanation. The desert time had circumcised away his pride, his connection, and his resources. It didn't matter at all that he was an important person, that he was in charge of the treasuries, or that he's friends with Candace. Do you know why? He's in a desert! And Candace wasn't, and the treasuries weren't, and everybody who thought he was important wasn't. He was taken to a desert where a simple... Humble question could change his life. 
He became dependent in the desert where the kings are made. The reproach of his old life was rolled away in one moment with one question. In the desert, this man became a son of God and he would learn a true path to kingship. The desert is so important in the scripture that figures like Elijah, is there a prophet greater than Elijah? Elijah knows Israel's heart needs to change, knows their ways need to change. So he's in the Carmel region, which is a beautiful lush valley area. It's definitely not a desert. So when Elijah shows up, he said, it's not going to rain except for at my word for the next seven years. He made a desert-like condition to get at the hearts of the people. See, the desert is everything in the Bible. His protege, his Talmud, Elisha, he had been with Elijah in those desert-like conditions so that in 2 Kings 3, he could look at Joram, who was the king of Israel, a real pleasure palace puppet. And he could say, if I didn't have respect for Jehoshaphat, I wouldn't even look at you. He learned that kind of conviction in the desert. He was not sustained by popularity or kings. He was sustained by the only thing a man of God can exist by, the presence of God. The desert is where the patriarchs, the prophets, and all God's people were formed by God into something useful. The desert is the kingmaker. This church is learning not just to move in the desert, but thrive in the desert. Moving from one situation of dependency to another. We've seen every attack of illness come against our children. We've seen every, every possible thing that could happen. I mean, I grew up in a family that had illicit drugs in the house. And when that was not an issue, they were drunk. And when that was not an issue, there were DUIs. And when that was not an issue, they threw things at each. The police never came to my house. The police come to our Bible studies all of the time because they don't like the way you park. They don't mind our neighbors parking wherever they park, but they don't like the way you park. We are going to move and thrive in the desert. We're going to send praise into our persecution. Joseph, Moses, Israel, Elijah, Elisha, John the baptizer, Jesus, Paul, Philip, all learn the art of the supernatural in the desert of dependency. This is a process that is perpetual. And without it, no Christian ever performs their purpose. Do you want to complete the call of God in your life? The desert of dependency is the great kingmaker for you and every other called, chosen, and faithful follower of Jesus. We're in our last two-ish scriptures. <laughs> go, go with me to Revelation 17 because it's important. It, it's, it's something that if you get hold of, it brings purpose to this process. And it won't be so painful. You realize he's not trying to hurt you. He's trying to help you. Revelation 17 and verse 14. They will make war against the Lamb. But the Lamb will overcome them because He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And with Him will be His called, chosen, and faithful followers. Those who are with Him are called. Those who are with Him are chosen. Those who are with Him must prove that they are faithful followers, and they do it in a desert where kings are made. See, he's not just Lord. He's Lord of something. What is he Lord of? He's not just king. He's king of something. What is he king of? 
When you embrace the dependency of the desert, he works his sovereignty into your soul. He works his kingship into your sonship. He is your king and he makes you a king with him as well. It's in the desert that kings are made because it's where you prove yourself faithful to him. This has always been done this way. It always will be done this way. The desert is the place where kings are made. Now, if you spell that wrong, I want you to know that dessert never makes kings. A Starbucks in your lobby won't make you a king. I mean, in this age, you may feel like a king. But in the next one, if you get to participate in it at all, your carnal circus, it won't help you. Because dependency on the Lord is what makes you a king. His sovereignty gets worked into your sonship. Isaiah 48, don't turn to it, okay? I want to read it to you like a a loving brother would read. I I tell you what, I'm going to read it to my wife, and you're just going to get to listen in. But close your eyes so I don't get embarrassed, okay? Everybody got your eyes closed? Not you, Jen. You keep them open. (laughs) Isaiah 48, 10. See, I have refined you, though not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. Listen to me, O Jennifer, my beloved prince with God, whom I have called, I am he. I am the first and I am the last. Now open your eyes. If you're reading this as just a theological statement, you're missing something. He's saying, I am the one who began the process. I will finish the process. I will never let myself be defamed. Two things would let you be defamed if you were in his shoes. One is if you couldn't complete the process. And the other is if you didn't require her to go through the process. Both would shame you. He's saying, I have brought you to this place to refine you because you're precious to me. I've brought you to this place and I will finish the process in you. The desert of dependency is meant to work kingship into your life. This is about his divine mandate, his glory, his purpose. He becomes your king in the desert and you become king with him in the desert. Have you ever read Song of Songs? If you're single, do not raise your hand. Their love affair occurs in the desert. Precisely because there's nobody else around to interfere. It's just those two. Your preparation will arrive at presentation when the character of the king is present in your desert moments. Now, as you reflect on the things that I'm saying, think through this. Have you arrived at the place Where in your most vulnerable, dependent moments, what you're beginning to see is the king's character? Are you still seeing a lot of natural behavior? I have a feeling that some of the marital discord that was going on during uh, the hearts of the people during worship is entirely because you're lacking in the character of Christ, not because you've perfected it. But praise God, he puts you in situations where you can see that and he can work his kingship into you. That's not him punishing you. That's him preparing you. Do you know that the Bible story ends 
with a transformation of the people and a transformation of the desert? I want to read to you one last scripture. It's 9.06. I don't know how long I've been preaching, but I, I came across 10 states to be here with you today. I love you. And I am so excited about what the Lord's doing here. See if you can wrap your mind around Isaiah 35. Your life will become Moses' strange sight. It will become Isaiah's highway. Something that so defies the laws of nature. The world around you is forced to say that is supernatural. Isaiah 35, are you in verse 1? The desert. The what? And the parched land will be glad. Let's just take that for, for a moment. Parched desert. Does that make you think glad? But remember in the desert, we learn to cling to a promise. We learn to look at a bag of bones and say it will resurrect. We learn to look at no provision and say he will bring provision. This prophecy is declaring that the desert will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance and with divine retribution he will come to save you it sounds very much like there are people in the desert denied the beauties of carmel denied the beauties of sharon but they do have one thing they have a god who is coming to carry them on eagle's wings and he's able to change everything but he wants to change them first the eyes i'm sorry then will the eyes of the blind be opened And the ears of the deaf unstopped. What precedes that? What has to happen before blind eyes are getting open and deaf ears are? Joy in the desert. Joy in your dry place. Joy right where you're at, even though you're totally dependent on the Lord. You ought to be happy to be dependent on the Lord. He's the only one that can do it anyway. The burning sand will become a pool. The thirsty ground bubbling springs. Grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. When it says a highway will be there, where is there? In the desert. The way of holiness is perfected in the desert of dependency. It will be for those who walk in that way. Wicked fools will not go on, will not go about on it, nor will a lion be there, nor will any ferocious beast get on it. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed of the Lord will walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion. Now we're leaving the desert for the first time. Zion is not in a desert. Zion is a mountain. That is Jerusalem. But notice something. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. See, the desert was transformed into the divine only after the character of the king crowned the heads of his called, chosen, 
and faithful followers. He transformed them into kings in the desert. Then he transformed the desert into something that was beautiful. And then he brought them into his palace. See, we have to get our order of operations right. They became kings in the desert and they entered Zion with crowns. If you want to be a king, you have to have a crown. What was their crown? Joy in the midst of dependency. Now, saints, I know that's not an easy word. It's also one that will never change, that will never go away, that absolutely must be persisted in to ever achieve anything for the Lord. If you want to complete the great call of God on your life, you will have to embrace the desert of dependency. It's where kings are made. And you are called to be a king with him. Is that something that you want? What stands in your way? I'm not preaching this because I don't think you're doing it. To be honest, I'm preaching it because I've never seen a church quite do it like this. And yet, we're not wearing our crowns. In fact, today during worship, it really took you to the very last song to become half of the church that I know you're called to be. That's just a very honest assessment. I can do that. I'm leaving. And if you're mad at me, you won't have to see me again. It, it, it literally took you until the very last song to show up. I mean, you were here before, but you were in a circus of distraction. Some of you were drowning in self-pity. When we're in dependency on the Lord, you got to know it's okay to say, Lord, I need that crown now. Help me be joyful. You can command your soul in the name of Jesus to be joyful. And what I'm, here's what I'm trying to get you to do. I'm not trying to beat you up right at the end of a message I wanted to be encouraging. I'm saying you need to identify what is warring against receiving a crown in the midst of your dependency. You need to talk to him. The whole point is not that you're perfected by yourself and presented. The whole point is that you're so dependent on him He is molding you and shaping you. You know what a healthy Christian looks like? Screwed up, but changing. Okay? You show me one that's not screwed up, and I'm going to show you one that's not really healthy. He's lying. Okay? A healthy Christian is becoming aware of increasing levels of flaw. Oh, they're not growing. They're just becoming aware that they've always been flawed in ways they didn't know, but they're trusting the Lord to change them constantly. The better you get in the kingdom, you become intimately aware with your failings, but you don't accept them. You become more dependent upon the Lord. Praise God for a desert where you don't have a choice. Yeah. I'm beckoning. Let him allure you. Let him speak tenderly to you. Let him say to you, I'm bringing you out into the desert so that we can get acquainted. It's there that I will change you. And then I will change your circumstances. But you're always going to go from desert to desert because you never outgrow dependency on him. Jess and Bim are going to get married. Larissa and Linton are going to get married. Now when I say that, They have dreams of being dependent on each other. 
can you imagine them dreaming of the day that they didn't need to depend on each other anymore? That wouldn't be much of a relationship, would it be? If there was a point in your life you were more dependent on the Lord than you are now, what do you have to do to renew that? Now, you didn't hear me say doing more. I, I'm, I'm not talking about measuring your worth by doing more. I'm talking about dependent on Him. I'm talking about every hour. Like, Lord, oh no, I'm busier, but I don't, f I want to be closer to you. You know, in my own life, as I'm traveling around, I find myself saying, Lord, I miss the days when I was a kid without responsibility. And all I did was think about loving you, not the next task. <laughs> and the thing is, is he's forming in me a character that won't change when my circumstances do. See, I am still a kid that doesn't have to be dependent on or, or worried about anything other than being dependent on him. It just feels different because my circumstances are different. The desert forges something in us. It's a place of refining. Figure out what it is that he wants to forge in you. There are things that can be added to your life that are not a blessing. An inheritance quickly gained in the end is not a blessing. You might need desert to help you. In fact, I know that you need desert to help you. Because it's where kings are made. Hey, would you like to crown your face? Would you like to crown your face right now? You can do it with a smile. The crown of the sons of God is joy in the desert. Stand up as kings. Mm -hmm. All of those words that say, count it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. We've heard them so much that we forget all he's saying is, count it as joy that you're in the desert. Because this is where you'll be matured. Let's make up our mind now we're going to send praise. Let's make up our mind now that we're going to be formed into kings. As I begin to pray. Ask the Lord to help you highlight. What is it that gets me leaning in some direction other than you? If you were rich, when you came to the kingdom, you'd have to give everything away. It's biblical. If you were the world's best leader, when you came in the kingdom, he'd crush you before he let you lead. If you were the world's most mealy mouth, pathetic, wimpy human being, he would require you to conquer that and become a leader to lead. In other words, wherever you are, whatever your leanings are, he's going to make you lean on him. So that his sovereignty can be worked into your soul. Where do you need to address things? He wants true and lasting intimacy. He wants to reign with you and you with him. This is a moment that you can change. This is life-changing ministries. You have the finest pastors I've ever met. And you're around some of the finest members I've ever met. The only thing stands in your way is you. That's it. I just got to say, crucify sinful stubbornness right now.
If you've been fighting with your husband, stop it. Been fighting with your wife, stop it. You hinder your prayers with the Lord. Right now, become dependent on Him. You don't like what somebody's doing, the Lord can work in them, but He won't work in you if you don't surrender this. I'm going to pray, and you move as God moves you, because He wants you to be kings. Father, I thank you for this chance. Lord, this congregation has been formed by you. Lord, it's being informed by you. You are molding us into something. And we love to be molded in your hands. No more squealing in our flesh, Lord. What you're doing for us is priceless and we love it. Lord, we're asking that you would repair the broken hearts in this place. Lord God, that you would heal those whose hope is nothing but bones. Lord, let us cling to you. Let us cling to the promise in the desert because you are a prince and you will not let us down. How priceless is your love, Lord. We love you.